Hey there, folks. Episode number 87 of the Uticast. We are back once again celebrating a very, very lackluster President's Day. Uh, we're going to change that for you, however, with our special guest this week, uh, yoga instructor at In Bloom Yoga Studios. Amy Ruckel is here uh, to talk about her struggles with addiction. Uh, it's a really, really fascinating, wonderful interview. Hope you stick around for that. Uh, plus, Kevin is here as we survive our first week of the post-Mara era. Uh, onward and upward, we're going to try our best to survive. Uticast 87, we're happy to have you back. happening, Kevin. You have no idea what you're talking about. No, I was looking at the rotors on the gear consortiums, and I said, just reconfigure them, and we'll be good to go. That all sounded good, right? It's amazing you hit record and then say these things. <laughs> uh, Got a whole notepad full of notes there, and that's that's your open. That's my opening. That's yep. your open. Yep. No, my opening. You can tell the sickness has really got you. The <laughs> deep sickness. No, that's fine. I'm okay. Um, welcome back, folks. Episode... Number 87, the first episode in the post-Mara era of the podcast. It's true, it's true, it's damn true. Mm. I like that, uh, I didn't tell you this beforehand, I really like that Adidas hoodie you got there, is that relatively new? Uh, no, it's, it's very old, as you can see by the fading crack patterns <laughs> it's on good. it. good, I like it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not bad. So I got distracted. No, uh, yeah, so the first episode of the post-Mara era, we will miss her. We went to her farewell party last evening at BBG's. Had a couple drinks, good times. Yeah, we did. What do you think about BBGs? You got thoughts? Uh, oh, you yeah. look like you got thoughts. Yeah, listen, I got some thoughts. Look, I had a great time uh, seeing the folks, saying hello to Mara, and meeting the man who's stealing her, Zach. Great guy. Best of wishes as they make their way to Florida. Um, you know, had a good time playing around a Big Buck Hunter with, uh, with GFOP Marcellus Dyer. Uh, mm-hmm. Big Buck Hunter is no joke. I really like Big Buck Hunter. Uh, it's funny how immediately, like, I'm like, oh, Big Buck Hunter, yeah, I'll play it. And then, like, you pick up the gun and you start the game and you're like, I'm, no, I'm in on this game now. I'm dead serious. <laughs> There's no jokes. Uh, I think the biggest problem, and I think what needs to be addressed, is the working condition of many of the games and... Uh, almost everything there. Almost everything. <laughs> Here's listen. I've got I've got a pile I've got a pile of beef some mile <laughs> deep with BBGs, and it's not just because of last uh. night. Even when they came in, uh, they decided they weren't going to carry local beers, and they put an antagonizing dumb sign up about it in their poor location for their failing establishment. Um, Hot takes. It's a, it's a terrible terrible spot I think for the thing. But when I go in there, like it's not bad, and they've done a good job of making a go of it. Whatever it is, um, they felt a little bit understaffed in the sense that. They don't really know what kind of place they want to be. Yes. It seems like. Yes. like you're going to be a restaurant or the bar with games. And if you're going to do both, you sort of have to pick one and stick to it with the location they have. Yeah, I feel like... Yeah, that's a really good take, actually. I want to say they decided to be the best of both worlds. And in doing so, mm-hmm. they negated the possibilities for one or the other. Yeah. Right? Um, I think if you take the other half of that, re- that establishment that's just tables out mm-hmm. and put more games in there... 
They probably make more money off it, serving the food at those tables, though. Right. Maybe they do. Maybe and they, they got do. one poor girl trying to do it all, though, jumping back and forth between the two. And it's like, it's I true. mean, I, I don't know. Location is still tough, though. It's a tough spot to put anything like that, really. Well, it's like you go out there. Yeah. Like, even last night, I went out there. I had one, two beers. And then it's like, well, I got to drive home from this location afterwards. So I'm not trying to sit here and knock down like five or six beers watching the Syracuse game. Well, and you're not trying. I mean, you're not trying to do that if you gotta if you gotta drive back home afterwards, anyways. No, I right. But the right. trick is when you're when you're tucked away and you're not near anything else, right? And there's no place to really like hop from one to the other. Like it's a very singular location, and it's not close enough to too many things. Where like it's always kind of a hike to get home, and you do have to go through small towns where. You're more likely to have the cops break your balls in like New yes. York Mills than you are going through Utica, okay. which I can understand that. Um, so then also their pinball machine wasn't in work, great working shape. You know how I feel about pinball. I know their bubble hockey machine doesn't work. I feel like that air hockey machine that we played was also not in great shape. No, the air hockey was not working very well. Not much air. <laughs> not, not much air. air. We're getting very much puck movement. It, it was, was also the loudest game ever. It was really loud. I feel like it was missing... Like some sort of like rickety. Uh, it was it was, it was very rickety and old. Um, you know, just step up with your your gear. Uh, can you still hear the sickness in my voice? Do yeah, I have sickness? You sound sick. I got the sickness a little bit. Uh, I don't feel so bad, but uh, it did certainly ruin my my planning this weekend. Um, which is one of many reasons why we have a bit of an abridged episode this weekend. Uh, the other reason is I am leaving at three forty five in the morning tomorrow. From the time you, well, today, from the time you hear this, to take uh, some of the students that I help teach to New York City for two days. Have you told anybody about this, or you're just making your own trip? We're just going ourselves. <laughs> We're taking ourselves. No, no, it's planned by the school. Uh, and me what and are you going bo- down there to do? So we're going to visit uh, three different New York City uh, college campuses. We're going mm. to Columbia, we're going to NYU, and we're going to my alma mater, uh, Hunter College. There you go. Yeah, yeah, it'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. You looking forward to coming booming back through on your alma mater's campus there and being like, yeah, look at me. I'm back. I'm a shaper of minds, leader of a generation. Yes, that's right. I'm preparing the next generation to fix the crap that we've established in this current generation. These are the people who are going to make things better for us. So you're welcome. That's my first opening line everywhere I go, particularly Columbia. <laughs> everywhere, like there's a grocery store. <laughs> people like, I'd serve paper and plastic. Um, I, was funny, I was talking to my boss earlier on the phone about this, and he's like, so you, you excited to see Hunter? And I was like, yeah, kind of. Like, I feel like... And don't get me wrong, I, I love my alma mater. It was a great school for me. It was mm-hmm. like a good fit for the kind of school that I was looking for at the time, kind of life I was leading. That being said, I've been to Columbia. I know what that campus looks like. And it's not the same. <laughs> it's not. It's just not the same, right? They're two different wheelhouses. Like, And we're going to Columbia first, so there's, there's no way that we're going to take these kids to Columbia, which is basically Harvard, but they dropped it right in the center of New York City and then just left it looking like a college campus. It's stunning. It's fabulous. Right. Uh, and then Hunter is three buildings on a crosswalk <laughs> in East Manhattan connected by Skywalk. Because even NYU is cool. Like NYU is cool, but it's, NYU... It's not Columbia, but it's still like a pretty impressive... Doing Hunter third is going to be a disservice to Hunter. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> NYU is interesting is NYU sort of spread across New York. Like, there's an NYU campus, and then there's, like, little satellite NYU campuses around. So you'll be walking through New York, you'll be like, I thought we walked by NYU. Like, oh, no, this is the NYU design building. It's 
three and I a half. noticed that when I'm down yeah. there near NYU, like every other building for like 14 yeah. blocks. I'm like, well, this is also NYU, and this is the NYU yeah. bodega. Like, going, well, it's interesting, right, because we take a lot of kids on college campuses across New York State, right? And I like going to different colleges across New York State. I really like Casnovia, really like Oneana, really mm-hmm. like uh, – I've been to a couple different places this year that I really enjoyed. Um, I actually like SUNY Poly. SUNY Poly is kind of an underrated school. I feel like it's the forgotten Utica College. In between, it is a little bit. In between MV and, and Utica College, it sort of gets pushed off to the side, location-wise. Because well, you know what it was, too? Like, they've been, now that they're known as SUNY Poly, they've been, it seems like the last uh, almost 10 years or so now, mm-hmm. really sort of stepping up, like, what their footprint is going to be and what they're doing. They've been expanding a lot. We were younger. We were coming out of high school, and it was, like, SUNY IT. It wasn't really a thing. People no. weren't really going there. The amount of programs they had were very small, and they were very specific programs. Yes. So you weren't getting people go up there to go up and just do the normal, like, live in a dorm and not really pick a major and hang out thing. You know what I mean? I think, for and for me, for the longest time, SUNY Poly, or whatever, yeah, yeah, sir, SUNY IT, SUNY Poly, SUNY Utica Rome, whatever it was called, there was always just that one room with all the flags in it. That's, like, my number one thought about SUNY IT. There's this one room that has all the flags of all the worlds, like, all the nation's flags. Yeah, but they, did, they had, like, the gym. Yeah. There. They, <laughs> they like, would do, like, be basketball games or basketball yeah, tournaments yeah, yeah. there sometimes. And I think, didn't we play there when it was SUNY IT? Did yes, we play a show certainly. there one time? Somewhere along the way. in the courtyard with, like, eight or nine other bands. I think about that sometimes. Tons of bands. Sienna was like that, too. When I went to Sienna last time, I was like, I played here before. We played in the gym in at Sienna. Sienna yeah. I remember we played a show in the gym at Sienna. It was a lot of fun. Sienna was very nice. <laughs> The point I'm getting at, though, is a lot of these upstate New York, either uh, state university or private schools, have sort of a similar flair, right? Sort of a similar vibe, a similar aesthetic, like Mm -hmm. all things considered, right? Colgate is a beautiful school. Hamilton's a beautiful school. They're not exactly the same, but they all sort of fall in the same, like, sort of upstate New York, like, school vibes, right? Sure. New York City schools are much different. Like there yeah. is a certain there's a huge difference with New York City schools and like the lifestyle and there's not camp Hunter didn't have a like a a quad per se, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like my life was like, all right, I'm gonna get in the subway and then I'm gonna get off the subway and I'm gonna go to class and I'm gonna get back on the subway and go to work. And I might right. not see the school again for another day and a half, right? Mm-hmm. It was very much like school and life intertwined. So that's the one thing I'm thinking maybe somebody Do they have dorms at Hunter? They do have dorms. They're Are they very like expensive. off? Okay, they're they're that not makes sense. Yeah, they're not in the build. Like they're a couple of buildings down. You have to walk over still mm-hmm. from the park. It's really expensive. Uh, so yeah, looking forward to New York City trip. I'm leaving very early in the morning. Uh, I don't know what time I'm supposed to go to bed. If I'm trying to wake up at three forty-five a.m., I'm thinking like eight o'clock. Eight o'clock. Eight, o'clock eight to. nine. Yeah. No chance. That's ha- I don't see that happening. No, I slept in late today. Terrible. I'm screwed. I see you. Yeah, I see you going to bed like eleven, maybe. Yeah, and a raw. I will power a go. couple hours nap out, and then... I feel like that's the move. I mean, if you... You know, it's going to be a long ride down there anyway, and it's going to be late, so you can... But you're pretty good at knocking out. Like, you can knock out on the bus for a bit, take a, like, take a nap. Well, we're only driving... Before... We're only driving to Albany, and then from Albany to New York, we're on the train. So even on the train, I might just catch a couple... Yeah. A couple hours of Z's. There you go. Catch some Z's. Uh, I am looking forward to going back to Hunter just so I can bust out my Hunter College ID, which is on the fridge. I'll have to take the magnet off the back. <laughs> Nope, never. <laughs> Leave the magnet. Uh, so, um, what else happened this weekend I wanted to hit? Oh, uh, taxes. I did my taxes yesterday. I feel very positive. I did my taxes earlier this week. I don't feel positive. I know. We were talking. <laughs> That's the, when when you are living the lifestyle that I live right now, like the college, grad, school, like not making all that much money lifestyle, taxes are kind of fun. You're like, yes, 
Yeah, it's, Give it's, me it's some money. Life raft windfall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quick. This little 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 windfall was nice. A little bit of emergency bailout. <laughs> little bailout. You needed it. You know, a little bailout action. Mine was when I did my taxes. It was because I was used to. In years past, when I've worked in a restaurant, anybody who's worked in a restaurant, especially you know front of house service side, knows you're not reporting the majority of the money you're making. You're not telling anybody about tips you make every night. That's silly to expect you to. So the money that you actually have to pay taxes on is like your paychecks, which I think servers right. get paid like two dollars an hour. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. horrible. Yeah, yeah. So like I'm actually telling them, oh yeah, well you know I only made eighteen thousand dollars this year because that's all the paychecks were for. Yeah. So you get your full refund back. Mm. Uh, that is not the case. No, no As longer. You get older and get like salary and benefits <laughs> and four hundred one k and all that different stuff, they give you a much smaller amount of that percentage of what they've withheld. Yeah. Well, listen, I re- I needed this bailout. Uh, so for all of our Twitter followers out there, I'm going to set up the uh, the Twitter poll for next week um, of the three things I may or may not responsibly spend my tax refund on. Uh, leather jacket, new leather jacket, desperately need one. I think it may be a nice one. That's That seems like a, a practical yeah. way yep, yep. to good leather uh, jacket, uh, motorcycle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, guitar amp head, like some sort of nice amp head, amplifier, mm-hmm, uh-huh. mm-hmm. maybe like an orange head. Mm-hmm. Or a Vox, something like that. Uh, or uh, Xbox One slash video games. So it'll be one of those three I'm going to spend some amount of money on. Interesting. And I don't know which frivolous, totally not irresponsible purchase. I feel like leather jacket's right out the window. I like leather jacket, though. Le- I got- leather jacket is good, but leather jacket, for how much you'll actually be able to use it, and for how much you can get something that suits the needs of being a leather jacket without spending tax return style money on it, <laughs> is... I just feel like I need a new leather jacket because my the jacket you have now is not leather. No, it's pleather. So there's nobody saying you need another leather jacket. I need like a, you don't need to go buy a twelve hundred dollar Charlie Seeley special. <laughs> we should get him on the podcast. I want to get really him on should. so bad. Oh man, he'd be so good. Yeah. So I, no, I I do stand by the fact that um, and I kid to a certain extent. I will put that post up on on Twitter for you people to vote on. But I feel like you should spend some of your windfall uh, frivolously. We talked a little bit about this. Yeah, I think. I think it's important to pick, like, a, a specific, relatively responsible number, but, like, what, be it tax returns, be it um, especially some sort of inheritance, like, if you won the lottery and you're getting a lot of money, find a proportional amount and spend something, like, nice on yourself. Do something nice for yourself because, you know, life is to be enjoyed. Like, you could take every single penny of that tax return and put it in the bank and do this and this yeah, and yeah. just save it and sit on it. But it's better for your mental health to do a little something, to treat yourself, you know, because at the end of the day, none of those things would sink you or blow even close to the chunk of the money. So you might as well do something nice for yourself. You don't always get an opportunity to. I want to say it was two years ago that I was living in New York, and I thought I was getting, I want to say, I don't know, like $1,300 back, something along those lines, right? Mm-hmm. And this was the, the first year of, like, uh, Affordable Care Act stuff, right? And I didn't really give it much thought. And I remember watching that, like, oh, you don't have health insurance tax come off. <laughs> I lost like six hundred dollars out of that, or some hundred, some like some insane amount of money. And I remember just calling my mom on the phone and just like just being like incredulous, like I don't know why I'm calling you because there's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm just I, don't, I just gotta talk to somebody about mom, how I just need, I just need someone else to hear me. In anger about what's like what has been done to me, and there's there's no result for it. Like you know, I got less of a refund. Boohoo! But like you know what I mean? Like I remember having this exasperated moment of like ah, just, uh, uh. 
So I uh, actually, yeah. I, I had a first with my taxes this year. Mm. For the first time ever, I owe some mm. money for taxes. Not federally. Certainly, I'm still getting a sizable refund federally, but uh, I owe the state of New York some tax money this year. Would you like to know how much money I owe the state of New York? Twenty-one dollars. Mm. Put it on your tab. That's I like. I would almost <laughs> rather owe like one hundred and fifty dollars. This is like a real amount. Like twenty-one dollars is just. Can I put that in an envelope and send you cash? New York state taxes are a wild card because when you put your New York state taxes in, and I don't know if anyone's ever done this because I do my taxes. Um, the way that television celebrities tell me to do that on uh, H&R Block's internet website, right? So listen, the president, you don't have to do them at all. It's a good point. See? It's a good point. The fa- that just you makes heard- you smart. That just makes you smart. <laughs> you heard it here first. Taxes, fake news, alternative facts. You don't even need to do your taxes. Alternative taxes. Alternative taxes. That's pretty good. I don't get to give them any more ideas. Um, <laughs> uh, I do my taxes basically on the internet. Like, like, a, like I think most people in our... I don't know, you go to a tax person? You ever gone to a tax I person? I did. This year was the first year I've ever done my taxes on the internet. I used TurboTax yeah. this year. It was the first time I've ever used like did an online like service. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did. I used to do them uh, with a pen and oh. a calculator. Oh, no. Yeah. It's <laughs> oh, not terrible. Everybody says that, but like tax, I'm not, listen, I'll pull back the curtain, you know. Full full disclosure here. I'm not making the type of money and owning the type of assets and leading <laughs> no, the type of lifestyle that make taxes much more than filling out like a 1040 easy form. It's not that bad. You have to do like one or two different modes of like subtraction yeah. a couple of times, and then most of it's just filling out the paperwork, yeah, which yeah. is annoying. But you go get the forms for free at the library. So I would go to the library, I'd bring my W two, I'd grab a form, go sit up in the stack somewhere in a table mm. quietly, and take about half an hour and just do my taxes and then mail them in by hand. But this year is the first year I did an online service, and I like TurboTax quite a bit. I did it in, like, the last 20 minutes before I left work one day when I was, like, getting yeah. ready to go out the door. And I was like, oh, wait, I've got my W-2 here. Let me take a look. And checking it out turned into, oh, they're done. Okay, yeah. cool. This was actually – this is one of the first years in a long time that I had multiple, like, W-2s to input, right? Because I, I had three different jobs last year, mm-hmm. right? Like, I had MetLife and then – oh, sorry, miscellaneous insurance company that doesn't care about peanuts – uh, no, you then, left MetLife. We can that's talk about that MetLife, uh, yeah. <laughs> come get us. Uh, MetLife, Met and then Taylor and the Cook, which I haven't been to as much, but I did work there a little bit last year. Yeah, so quite I get a bit over the there. course of the year. Yeah, and then uh, and then my current job. So it did take longer than normal. I was like, oh, I got stacks of W-2s. And in my head, I'm thinking, like, more W-2s means more money. I'm like, oh, oh, oh stack them up, right? <laughs> How long did that last for you? Uh, two W-2s. <laughs> w-2 <laughs> number two is like, oh, no, I see what happens here. What's your W-2 from the restaurant? Like 40 bucks? <laughs> <laughs> Very small. <laughs> uh, it's funny, man. Like, um, yeah, yeah. It's just an odd thing because I, I don't understand. I think this is like where my idiot brain comes in, right? Like, the taxes that I get back when I'm doing my taxes. So let's say I'm getting, I don't know, uh, eleven hundred dollars back, right? Does that mean, and it probably doesn't, that I paid eleven hundred dollars too much in taxes throughout the year? Is that the point of getting a tax refund? Kinda, from what I understand, right? <laughs> And then, I don't know. <laughs> saying from what I understand really does highlight, uh, like, illustrate a problem. Yeah. You would think this would be the type of thing. There would be some point in school where, and I know there was, like, an economics class or a math class somewhere where they mm-hmm. talked about taxes for, like, a week and had, like, a nice little quiz on a Friday. But, like, really, sure, you would think well, some I... time should be yeah. invested in teaching people how the hell any of this works because I'm mostly guessing. When I tell you, I think so. I think what they do is they take out money in anticipation of what they think you'll end up owing based on some mm-hmm. average, and then you end up getting it back 
if they've taken too much. I see. And you end up paying if they didn't take enough because you're making like money just wild. Like, just wild money. Like slinging houses or making piles. Like dependents. And then you get married and it's a whole mess when kids get involved, I think, in taxes. It's, I, I got to tell you, man. That's actually an interesting point. I'm glad you brought it up. I know we've gotten farther off on taxes than I planned to. That's okay. That's the point of this show. Um, we think about taxes from like a single, no dependent, solo person, right? Like when I'm doing taxes, I'm doing it just for me. I'm not doing it for any. Like you know what I mean, I, I've never thought about. I'm not even really like assets or money. Or yeah, like, I don't own anything of note that my taxes care about. You yeah, know what I mean, they don't care about even like a car. No, I don't own any property. Certainly, I should get some property. That's the move. Should get some land. Should do it soon because uh, I do have two uh, new stories I want to get to, and they do involve the world uh, changing in front of us. Oh, yeah, yeah. look at you. Uh, so earlier this week, Mark Cuban, who I love, big, big Mark Cuban guy. I'm a big Mark Cuban guy. Yeah. I like Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban was on the Warpath on Twitter. I don't know if you saw him uh, talking about how automation is going to cause unemployment and we need to prepare for it. Oh, rampant mass unemployment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he then linked to a Medium article about Bill Gates and Elon Musk. Elon Musk was also in the news this week talking about the same sort of thing, saying that the self-driving cars are uh, coming faster than we think, and we need to prepare for it. Uh, Cuban also on Twitter went off to say that Trump and his administration don't understand technological advancement, so that uh, for all these companies they want to try and open or whatever, all this infrastructure Mm -hmm. they want to build, there's not enough employees anymore. They don't even want to build infrastructure. They want to build a wall. That's a different thing. (laughs) Um, he's not wrong though, man. That's a yeah. huge, I was having this conversation with somebody uh, the other day. It was like somebody was saying something on Facebook, and I just made a small comment, and uh, we we got talking about how I truly believe, like Trump and his people, you know, they don't they don't understand technology. There's a lot of people mm-hmm. in this country, even our age, and imagine all the people of you know a much more advanced age, our parents' generation, generations above us, like that do not understand the technology that exists in the world and that is coming down the pipeline. Yeah. And there's no stopping it. And it's coming. And no, I don't think these old people understand mm-hmm. what exactly is coming. You know what I mean? Like everybody, you're seeing, I think a lot of the stuff we're seeing right now, everybody's try- reaching back to like an older era, yeah. trying to like go, but we can't go back. No. It's coming and we need to either get out in front of it or we're all going to get bowled over by this stuff. Uh, and let's take, let's just think about the Uber thing for just one second, right? Because I think the Uber example is very interesting. Uber is in an odd position, right? So let's say Uber actually gets the self-driving cars as a as a viable thing, right? So let's let's fast forward like ten years and becomes a viable thing that people are using all the time. Like, yes, it's an amazing technological advancement that we've self-driving cars in America. Like, science fiction from the books and movies from the past is here, right? Whatever, to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. That's an amazing technological advancement that's also a step back for the American worker because it's the end of a lot of, like, trucking and taxi driving. The concept yeah. of of the American worker as some sort of default state yeah. of existence, I think, becomes a hindrance to having a real conversation about the future we're heading towards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I think with automation and these advancements in technology, we are looking at, you know... at sometime sooner probably rather than later from what many people think we are looking at a time where the concept of you know somebody having work like a job and like you go to your job and you work five days a week 40 hours whatever sort of becomes an obsolete thing because there's just there's not going to be enough jobs available for the amount of people that there are and you have to start talking about what it looks like for the very first time in you know Pretty much, our, if not our species history, then modern times, look at what it looks like to be a post-labor 
society. Uh, that's also coming. That's a huge, 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 huge thing. That's coming faster than you think as well. Actually, earlier this week uh, in Ontario, Canada, the Liberal Party uh, is planning on rolling out their pilot universal basic income plan for 2017. Yeah. Uh, it's going to take place supposedly in three cities early spring of this year, uh, and they're going to be giving... Uh, it's $16,989 for a single adult, which is double what you would receive from the welfare benefits mm-hmm. in Ontario at the time. Right. Uh, they also mentioned that seven, 1.7 million people in Ontario currently live below the poverty line. I believe that. Which is uh, like 20000 some odd dollars. Mm-hmm. So this is something we've talked about on the show before, like this post-job economy, but uh, it's fascinating that uh, that Canada's sort of jumping on this already. Too good for them. Yeah. I mean, there's... The problem is that it's tough to have, like, a conversation about it without people immediately just, like, knee-jerking, you know, as hard as you can, and be like, oh, everybody just mm-hmm. want handouts, and who's going to pay for this, and where's the money going to come from, and this is lazy, and rot, rot, and entitled. Stop. Mm-hmm. I got all those things have some merit, and those are all things sure. we talk about. We have to at least discuss it. So I'm really happy to see somebody at least experimenting with it. Yeah. At least take a county or a state in Canada or whatever the hell they got up there. And let's try it. And let's at least get some verifiable field data on how this works with certain populations and see where we're going from there. What's his uh, job title there, Justin Trudeau? Is he the, the prime minister? I think he is. I like him. I think he is. <laughs> he's an interesting guy. Do you notice that he's not 70 years old and a billionaire yeah, and nice, insane? we got to stop electing these people in their <laughs> 60s and 70s. No offense to, you know, our, our senior citizen demographic that listen to the show weekly. No, the boomers. Like, yeah, our boomer crowd. Oh, my God, folks. Like, retire. <laughs> retire. Get, go out to pasture. It's very nice out in pasture. It's great out in pasture. Did you see that California is um, planning to try and roll out a single-payer health care system? Really? Yeah, they've got plans to... I only read it as, like, a headline and a quick skim when I was yeah. reading, looking for something else the other day. But it looks like they're going to institute and start mm. experimenting with single-payer health care uh, statewide. I'm Which, for, anybody, for if you don't know, single payer is where it's the same system they have in a place like Canada, a place like England, a place like most civilized first world countries, uh, regardless of what they tell you. But where if something's wrong with you, you just go to the doctor, and yeah. that's it. It's just covered, and everything's free, free health care. Yeah. So, California. Yo, CalExit, it's real. I'm trying to move to California if they become their own independent problem state. California is it's going to sink into the damn sea. It is going to sink <laughs> like, into the ocean. Uh, Such a nice place, but for how long and at what cost? And they just lost DeMarcus Cousins in Sacramento. They what a waste. did lose DeMarcus what Cousins. That was wild. I'll tell you what, that's if that Pelicans team meets up with the Warriors in the first round, the Warriors are going to have a tough time guarding both Anthony Davis and Boogie Cousins at the same time. <laughs> just So many people just got really confused at what we were talking about. It's so NBA, NBA. NBA stuff. Western Conference playoffs. Uh, the common all-star game last night. We'll come back to that in a second, actually, because I do have an NBA point. I've got tons of NBA about. hot takes. Uh, but for now, let's take a quick break. We're going to get to our interview with my longtime friend, Amy Ruckel. I've been sort of off and on with bringing her on the show because for a long time she was sort of everywhere. Uh, she was sort of the face of, like, opioid recovery in, in Utica, and she was yeah. talking a lot about being involved in the community. And I've known her for many years and um, kind of held off for a while on asking her to come do It's a show. weird thing. Like, a lot of times people come in and, they, you know, they do an interview and they've got, like, a thing that they're sort of promoting or something they're working on or what they're talking about. But it's weird to ask somebody who's, like, you know, a friend of yours, yeah. like a very good acquaintance for a long time to come on and be like, hey, talk about all your personal shit and the worst stuff that's ever happened to you on my weird... <laughs> yeah. On my weird internet computer show. I know. Yeah, it's weird, but she's... Like, that's uh, a weird pitch to me. I don't weird. blame you for being apprehensive. Uh, but no, but she was very gracious. So, uh, so why delay? Let's uh, take a quick break. We'll be right back with our interview with Amy Ruckel. And we'll be back in just a bit.
before I ran into you at one day at Unity College, right before you left, um, I probably had not seen you in person since we were in New York. Mm-hmm. We were in Brooklyn. Oh, God. And I'm trying to know, well, but the only thing I was trying to remember, I feel like we ended up once in a place where we played skee ball. Did I make this up? No, we did. We did. We ended up in some yeah. place that played yeah. skee ball, right? Because yeah. that's the thing I always remember about hanging out with you in New York is like, we played skee ball, I want to say. <laughs> it was on Myrtle Avenue. I know that. Was it I Rope? Can't... Yes. We went to Rope. Yes. Oh, man. For all you New York folks, I talk about New York a lot on this show. I brag <laughs> a lot about it. Rope was tight. How long did you stay in New York while you were down there? Like... Uh, I was there for two and a half years. And... So you were only two years there? Yeah. 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 Short, but sweet. <laughs> Enough. Well, we will, we're going to get into that, but I'd like to start in the very beginning. And um, what I think is fascinating uh, to me is I've known you for a long time, but we didn't really grow up together, right? Like, I knew you mostly through other people. Yes. So, although we've known each other for a long time, I don't know much about you as a person in general. So, I guess the I'll start off with the original question I always start with. Uh, Amy Ruckel, you are a yoga instructor at In Bloom, is it? Yes. Yes. Right. And you're a, you're a Renaissance woman. You're all over the place. I see you <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> I want to thank you for coming in. Now, let's start with uh, this question. Where were you initially born and raised? Like, where do you associate as being born and raised in? I like to say Utica, New York, because no one really knows about Deerfield. So you're Deerfield, though? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, small town. <laughs> okay, so you were born and raised up there. Yes. And that was? In the middle of nowhere. Middle of nowhere. With cows. And... <laughs> were you a farm person? Uh, no, but I lived next to a farm. Mm. Okay. So... Yeah, I had all of that, and uh, it was nice, but I was very far away from everything. So I really only had myself uh, mm-hmm. and my siblings. Which... And I'll say, I know one of your sisters. I, yes. How many siblings do you have besides her? I have two older brothers. So you have two older brothers, yeah. and you're older than... I'm the youngest. You're the youngest. Mm-hmm. I'm the youngest, too. Mm-hmm. What's it like? Did you get away with a lot more stuff than everybody else did? Amazing. <laughs> Are you close with your family still? I am. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Are they all still relatively local? They are. Both my brothers live in Utica. Well, my sister lives in New Mexico. She does come home to mm-hmm. visit every now and then, and that's always interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm actually going to see her in April. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm doing like a multi-city trip. Um, I'm going to Mexico first mm-hmm. to get another yoga certification, just a small oh. one. And then I'm going to Denver to see my friend Danny. And then my sister said, well, you'll already be in the West, so you have to come see me too. So then I'm going to Las Cruces to see her. Now, your parents are married, obviously? Yes. That's like a, it's got to be a big thing because, you know, I, I understand. I grew up in a family that was like a divorced family, right? And I understood the, the, weird, the weirdness of that situation, like having this sort of broken Split. family. Yeah. But when you're going through like personal like turmoil... Um, it probably must be some benefit to you to have a strong family system to cling on to. I don't know if your experience was like that, but that's what I just assumed thinking about it in that way. Most of my family, they were there for me, but they Mm. didn't quite understand. I think the one person that I had was my mom. Your mom, She always kind of stood Mm. out as my warrior, as my protector. So, and then she tried to help everyone else understand what was going on with Mm. me or... Uh, yeah, and that's that's what moms are there for, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you this. You went to, so you're, you took a born, you went to Deerfield, or you, you grew up in Deerfield. Mm-hmm. Where did you go to high school? Where did you go to? Whitesboro. So you're a Whitesboro kid. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. We talk a lot on this show because a lot of people who come around here are from the various uh, areas of the Whitesboro's and Harper's. Like Jeff. And, yeah, yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. Uh, what was your What was your experience at Whitesboro? Oh, it was horrible. You did not like it. Oh my god, I hated it. Mm. The education wasn't bad. I think it was the people who yeah, I went really. to school with. Who, if you were different, oh, they did not like you. They wanted everyone to be exactly the same. And I think I came into the scene and disturbed it a little bit. And people didn't like that. And then eventually they realized that I wasn't going away. Sure. I wasn't going anywhere. So then people started embracing it. And uh, then, you know, I found art. And I just basically stuck in the art room for the remainder of my years there. And that was, I guess, my saving grace there. Um, Woodsboro is interesting because I... I'm trying to think of like what the demographic is. Obviously, very like white. Obviously, yes. <laughs> um, but did you feel like it affected the way that you like? Because you went from, um, if I'm looking at this correctly, you went from Whitesboro like right to Pratt. Whitesboro to Pratt and Utica. Utica Pratt. Okay. And then to Brooklyn. Did you notice any culture shock at all between like that transition? Because I, I always say that going to Proctor and being around a lot of diverse backgrounds and minority kids and people who are different than me made my transition to New York City much easier than it would have been otherwise. I wish I had more. More, yeah. Uh, It was not very diverse Mm -hmm. at Whitesboro. And then when I went to Pratt at Munson, um, it was kind of the same. I mean, mean, there was a few students who were from different countries, Mm -hmm. but mostly from the U.S. or even New York State. And then when I went to Brooklyn, it was kind of a culture shock a little bit. I didn't really experience um, that many mm. uh, cultures all at once. Now, let me ask you this. So you're in Whitesboro. You're doing the art thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you go to Pratt and Utica. At this point in time, what was your, like, plan? Like, did you want to, like, teach art? Did you want to, like, find... Did you want to get to fine arts? Like, what was your, what was your plan with Pratt in general? Because I know a lot of people who've done the Utica to Brooklyn Pratt thing, and I'm curious about that. I had no clue. No clue. <laughs> uh, I, I know that I wanted to make art, but I didn't know what exactly I wanted to do. Because mm-hmm. some students really excelled in drawing. Some students mm-hmm. really excelled in painting. I had no clue, and I felt like I didn't really excel in anything. Mm-hmm. And then I took a printmaking class oh, okay. my sophomore year. And um, my teacher, Lisa Greg Whitman, she noticed that um, it was something that I really needed was order in my life mm. and I needed to be meticulous and clean and that was those are the things that I was not good at. Yeah, yeah. So um, I actually excelled in printmaking and mm. she said, I think that you should pick this as your major and I didn't really have any other sure. ideas. Yeah. So that was when I decided on printmaking and I begun my journey there. Now a lot of people I've talked to have said that the Dealing with uh, between Pratt and Utica and Pratt and Brooklyn. A lot of people, the Pratt and Brooklyn is beautiful, by the way. As a guy who spent a lot of time there, it's a beautiful, beautiful campus. I love the sculpture garden. It's just phenomenal. What a brilliant, brilliant building. What I've always heard, though, is that the Utica campus at Pratt actually, because of the size of it and because of the amount of students there, actually offers you a bit more of a hands on approach to art than you get at the Brooklyn Pratt, where it seems to be the impact. There's less kids in the, there's more kids in the class. You get less. uh, individual time with teachers and stuff. I don't know if you can speak to that at all or anything, but... Yeah, absolutely. In my ceramics class in Utica, there was four people, myself (laughs) included. (laughs) Yes. And and, (laughs) so I couldn't really get away with anything, you know, not doing my homework (laughs) or just my uh, sculpture being half-ass, things like that. 
But in Brooklyn, you can kind of skate by a little bit more because there's 15 people in the class. There's 18 people in the class, which is good and bad. Yeah. You get less attention. But also, when I went to Brooklyn, us Utica kids were seen as we had more technical skill than really? them because we got more attention uh, okay. when we mm-hmm. were taught the technical skills nice. in your freshman yeah. and sophomore years. It's one of those things that we was getting these arguments with people about, like going to Syracuse for uh, like TV design or going to HCCC. It's like, yo, Syracuse is well known for being like this journalism and television like powerhouse, especially the new house there. But you might not touch a camera until junior year, whereas at HCCC, it's much smaller. But you're probably working with stuff day one. It's like a question of, do you want to get your hands on the material or do you want to learn like theory before you do it? So I don't know. I'm getting off track. Um, <laughs> so Amy, I was really. I don't want to say cautious. I was I was cautious about having you on to talk about uh, your recovery from opiates because you've been talking about this before in the past. There was a really excellent thing you did with Nicole Todd a while back. I went back and rewatched that today. Um, and the, one of the reasons is we've known you such a long time, I felt weird asking you to come in and talk about this stuff, and I hope that's okay. <laughs> You're not the only person who has felt weird asking me about it, actually. Because and it's, that's fine. It's it's a weird thing to talk about. But it's important, though, especially nowadays when um, I, I talk a lot on this show about how being able to have open conversation. As a guy like me, I'm generally talking about depression or neuroses or, like, panic attacks, like my weird psychological issues and over the years being able to discuss them in open forum has given me a little bit of strength to be able to like all right you know now that I can talk about this and make it and break it down to what it is I can do things about it so that's always one of the reasons I like talking about these kind of things Uh, but I'm kind of unsure of how I want to frame this conversation with you is my concern so let me let me start with this when when I was looking at the article they talked primarily that uh opiates was your your weapon of choice, if you will. Most notably, heroin. Heroin, right. And that's, that was, that's the question I was going to yes. ask you. So I'm curious about when the first time it was presented to you was. Um, on my end, I had been always around bands and stuff growing up, and in that sort of, I wouldn't call it counterculture necessarily, but we were like experimental kids. We were different. I was hanging out with hippies and punk rocker kids. But I never, that was one drug that I never saw around like I saw weed I saw coke I saw booze I saw other things but that drug always never really reared its head around my so I'm kind of curious how it made its way into your sphere of influence I was very curious about it for a Mm. long time because I liked all of these artists musicians authors and they all had one thing in common they were junkies yeah I didn't understand why so why do all these magnificent people Mm. want to do heroin why I mean Mm. I felt like connected to them in a certain way so I thought well I want to know how they feel Mm -hmm. about this like why do they do it why is it so important to them so, um, plus I've always kind of struggled with my own mind kind sure. of uh, taking over, a sense, mm-hmm. I guess, the way that I feel. Um, that's, it's always been very loud. Right, so, right. Okay, interesting. Um, I think that's why I felt such a connection to all of those people, mm-hmm. because uh, they were the same way. So I sought it out. It didn't find interesting. me. Interesting, because I always talk about on the other side, I feel like, the drugs that you like, whether it's alcohol or marijuana or whatever it is, you, you kind, those drugs kind of find you, right? If you're a guy who likes to smoke weed, chances are you like it because you like to eat and you like to watch TV mm-hmm. and you like to goof around and you like to be whatever. 
if you like to drink, it's because you like to carouse and whatever. There's reasons for it. But I never thought about it in the other way. Like, your situation, your the people you're inspired by, that seeks you out in a weird way. Like, you're seeking out what it is that drew these people in that you're so fascinated by. That's interesting. Uh, I'm kind of the exception, though, because usually what I have found is most of my friends in recovery or who are still using, mm-hmm. they started out with um, opioids and opiate Opioid. pills yeah. and... Um, Which is on they the either yeah, yeah, yeah. They either had it prescribed to them or they were using it or it was popular. There was a time in the 2000s where it was very mm. popular to use, you know, Oxycontin mm. and, and uh, Oxycodone and Hydrocodone, things like that, just to make you feel good. Mm. But then eventually uh, what we're seeing now is that turned into people mm. using heroin. So I'm kind of the exception to this. Is right. I sought it out. It didn't uh, end up taking me down sure. or... Did you uh, know right off the bat that it was something that was going to... Did you know immediately that it was something that was going to cause a problem? Or were you... I'm sure the first time it was amazing or whatever the experience is. I don't know how you could describe it in that way. But, like, I, there was obviously something there that drew you in. Yeah. I mean, the, the f- I don't know why I went back. Because the first mm-hmm. time uh, I, I was given way too much and I actually... Probably should have overdosed. Mm, really? Yeah. Yeah, I was really, really sick. Oh. And then I thought, maybe I'll give it another try. Mm. I, I, sometimes we don't think logically. Well, I think... But... Do you think there was like a pattern of normalization like you do it the one time and you're like... Oh, I, yes. I feel like the, the more times you start to say, well, I did it once, now it's just twice, it's no big deal, then you start to normalize it out. Because I feel like that happens a lot for people with all sorts of things, right? Not just hard drugs, but anything. It becomes normal-ish to a way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, was there, do you think that there was, and this is probably hard, was there a specific moment when you had to look at, look at yourself and say, I think this has taken over? Like, was there a specific moment you can think of, like, maybe, I don't like to say a come-to-Jesus moment because I'm not particularly religious, but is there, was there, like, a moment where, like, this is the line in the sand that I have to decide I'm going to cross or not? I've had many of those. Yeah. None were really that strong to make me stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would think, what am I doing? I, you know, I really need to stop doing this. And then another part of me would say, no, it's okay. You know, yeah. it's fine that you're doing it. So mm. I guess that's why it's so hard for people to stop, at least with drugs like heroin, because there are two people. There's two Amy's. Yeah. Uh, there's the one that says you really need to get help, um, do the right thing. Mm. Then the other, there's the other one that says just keep doing it. Yeah, it's fine. Right. And you're not hurting anyone. If anyone says you're hurting them, they're wrong. It's... Uh, two right. completely different personalities. And do you feel that way still? Do you still feel like there's a part of you that's different now? That you're... I would say it's 90% regular Amy. The old <laughs> Amy will always still be there because that is a part of me. I am a recovering addict, but and the word addict is still there. Right. So, right. yes, the 10% old Amy will still be there. The thought still pops up in my head, but it's not that strong. And mm-hmm. it just, there might be something that makes me think of it. Like, uh, oh, I remember. I'm glad you bring that up, actually, because one of the things, and this is not the same thing. <laughs> I uh, I, I've tried to quit smoking many times over the years, uh, cigarettes particularly. And when I noticed was my biggest problem with quitting cigarettes over the years is that driving in a car is my number one trigger. If I'm in a car... For any extended period of time, more than five, ten minutes, I think to myself, man, I could really 
go for like a cigarette right now. Yes. Um, and that's like my big number one trigger. Do you still were there triggers at that time, and do you still feel like there are things nowadays that can trigger you in the wrong scenario? I would say my first year of sobriety, there were a mm-hmm. lot of things mm-hmm. that would quote unquote trigger me. Now they're just memories, right? Because right. I see it as if something can trigger you, you're still not over it. Mm. Um, You're not past that really important Mm. hump, that Mm. obsession, that um, I used to wear this certain type of makeup. I think it was Revlon. Mm -hmm. And when I first started using, I would wear it. It was just cover up. And for a while, that smell made me think of using. Mm -hmm. So... I mean, now when I smell it, it it's kind of disgusts me a mm. little bit. But before, it would make yeah. me want to have that feeling because mm. I was, was still obsessed with that feeling. I still mm. had that in my mind. Um, and I have one more question, then we'll get off onto some less heavy stuff because I do <laughs> want to get into some of the yoga stuff as well. But um, one of the things as an outsider on this story, because again, I, I do feel like some of an outsider. I've been surrounded by my life by people who've had, you know, who've had these diseases or problems, whatever you want to, whatever the term is you feel most comfortable. Again, you're, you know better than I do. <laughs> Imagine this scenario. I've seen people, um, like struggle in that way. And one of the things I'd always heard about heroin in particular is that it's really, really difficult to get off it because what do they give you? Methadone, right? And then methadone itself is also kind of addictive and scary in that way. What was like, what did you have to do? Like, what was it for you that was like, I'm just good. I just need to do it. Right. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, the last time, January 2015, two days into the year, mm-hmm. January 2nd, um, I got arrested. I okay. didn't go to jail, but I got arrested. Right. I was in the Utica police station for four or five hours. And then finally, I think they just wanted to scare me and they let me go. Right. Um, and I still didn't want to stop. I kept going, and then my mom found out that um, I had stolen some things from her, most probably a lot of money, mm. uh, yeah. which is very common. Yep. Uh, it's not something that I'm proud to admit, but it did happen. So uh, when she finally found out, she said, I don't know who you are anymore. You're not my daughter. Mm. And that was kind of the nail in the coffin for me. And I thought, okay, either uh, I'm going to end up homeless probably stealing more stuff uh who knows what my life is gonna be like or i could just get clean uh so my mom sent me to florida to a wonderful rehab but nowadays it's not methadone Mm. it's suboxone suboxone okay i've heard that term that's what and that's just as bad as Mm. methadone Mm. um because people abuse that too yeah but what I find is if you're using Suboxone to detox, that is the best way. I only was on Suboxone for 12 days, my first 12 days in rehab. And then I was weaned off yeah. of it, and that was it. Mm-hmm. And that was the last time I was on it. Some people around here, they're on maintenance programs for yeah. two, three years. Um, that's not what it's meant for. It's really just meant right. to help you f- through the first few months of your sobriety, and then you can be yeah. on your way. Do you have a hard time, like, in public? That was one of the things I always wondered. Like, when I when I quit smoking cigarettes or if I decide I'm not going to drink for a couple months, like, whatever, I have a hard time going to the bar or going out in public and seeing other people. And, one, my first thought is I start judging them. I'm like, oh, look at these people. They need to have, like, you know, them smoking their cigarettes and beers like I was doing three months ago. Look at me. But the other part is, like, do you, do you feel different 
because of it? Do you feel like somewhat disconnected from other people? I'm curious. I feel more connected oh, really? to people. Because uh, really when I think about it for years, I like to describe it as I was unconscious. For, mm. For, mm. I wasn't there. I wasn't feeling. I wasn't even alive. Um, I wasn't experiencing anything. I was just kind of a shell of a person walking through life. Mm. Uh, I had really no connection to anyone. Mm. So now, I would say my first six months, it was very hard because I had a lot of feelings that I didn't really know how to deal with. Um, Someone told me once, good news, you have feelings. Bad news, you have feelings. (laughs) And I I totally understood it from that moment on because I didn't really know how to uh, have deep connections with people, to be a Mm. friend to someone. Uh, That was very difficult. Or to even be, I'm an aunt. Or to just interact with my niece and my nephew because for so long, everyone has kind of shoved me off. Um, Now I have deeper connections with people because I'm actually mm. awake yeah. and I'm clean. That's fascinating. Uh, yeah, so I find it's that inspiring, to though. be beautiful, <laughs> that beautiful part of it. And uh, and I know that you've talked a lot about it in the past, but I do think that by you being sort of this avatar, almost in a way, for a lot of mm-hmm. other people to see, because it, it is a, it's a brave story. It's a re- you know, the story of your recovery, and you are doing great, and we're going to get into your yoga stuff in just a second, but I think that you need to you need to be made aware that what you've done and what you've said for people and like the things you've brought to light make a difference and it's important to people. And I hope you know that. I'm sure you, you do, but I just want to... Re- Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. That means a lot. It's weird because people kind of consider me now as the recovery, uh, the poster child is, for recovery. Which is why I was and weird to ask you to come. It's, and that's great. But it's like, when I'm just a normal person right. and, you know, people go through what I go through every day. And um, that's why I told uh, CNY homepage, I love them. They've yeah, done so much for me. Yeah. But I said, look, I said, I'm not the only recovering right. heroin addict mm-hmm. here. Uh, there are so many other people with amazing stories, but I love telling it because when people find out that I am a recovering heroin addict, a light bulb goes off in their head. Yeah. Like, they have this newfound respect for me, even if they don't know me, because they, even if you know nothing about addiction, you know that something like that is extremely mm. hard to get through. It's extremely hard to overcome. Mm. So... It's so it is nice, and I hope to kind of change people's perspective on addicts and recovering mm-hmm. addicts that yeah. we're just normal people yeah. from all backgrounds, um, and mm-hmm. we we really just want help. I love we don't it. want That's to be great. judged. We, we just want love. <laughs> uh, I do want to talk about yoga. Uh, you uh, you teach yoga over in Bloom. Yes. When when did yoga become part of the story? Like I'm sort of curious at when yoga sort of found its way into your life. So. I think I was two months clean, mm-hmm. and I, w- I was going to the gym, and I was trying to work right. out, and I was on a treadmill, I'm like, I need more than this. This, mm. this is just, this feels so dull to me. I need right. something for, you know, mentally and spiritually mm. and physically, just something. And I knew a few people who taught yoga, and Tara Meenan was one of them. I know Tara. She's a great person. Yes. Yeah, great person. So I reached out to her, and I said, hey, I'm interested in coming to one of your yoga classes. And she said, you need to come Saturday morning. This is when she was at Studio 55. Mm-hmm. 
She said, come to my hot yoga class. Yeah, hot yoga. Was that Bikram? Is that the Bikram yoga? So I yeah. would, yes, yeah, yeah. yes, along the lines <laughs> of it. But she teaches Ashtanga. So okay. right, it's right. close, very close. It, it, they're both hot, yeah. extremely hot. <laughs> So I went in there, and it was 94 degrees in the studio. And I tried my hardest to get through this yoga class. And I'm a small person. I'm 5'1". Now I'm 105 pounds. Before, you know, I had gotten out of rehab a couple months prior. I put on some rehab weight. So I had 20 extra pounds on me. Mm. And so it was the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life was get through that hot yoga class. She said, you did great. And I was drenched from head to toe in sweat. And I thought, this is exactly what I need. Even though it was the hardest thing, this is exactly what I need. So every week I, I went every Saturday morning and then it turned into every Saturday and Tuesday. And then it turned into three, four times a week. And then eventually, um, Tara, uh, came to me one day and she said, I think you should teach yoga. Hmm. Well, I think it's a good fit for you. <laughs> I, I really do. because And you make a great point. Um, I hate working out. Hate, hate, mm-hmm. hate working out. In general, my mentality of working out was always if I can disguise working out as something else, like uh, if I hit a heavy bag or if I play soccer or if I play basketball, I'm still working out. I'm still being physical, but I'm not sitting there running on a treadmill or counting reps or doing push-ups. Yoga was fascinating to me because yoga does have that uh, spiritual, mental... Again, I'm not a particularly religious guy, but I understand the ideas of centering yourself and finding balance in your environment and, like, breath control. And those things are important. And, like, those probably benefited you in other ways just in, you know, just as supplements to the actual physical benefits of it, too. So, yeah, because yeah. I was newly clean. <clears throat> I had no clue what I was doing in life. Um, I was having all of these feelings... <clears throat> You know, uh, I was going through a lot in my life. Hmm. I had just, I think I had just broken up with my boyfriend of like five years. Uh, that's a tough one. And, <laughs> you know, before. so I was like, I don't know what's going on in my life. And hmm. when I went to yoga, it just, hmm. I was at peace even hmm. for an hour. Um, that really helped me just quiet hmm. myself, even for hmm. such a short period of time. I could just get away, or it, it actually helped me solve a lot of problems because I became more of a patient person, mm. understanding, exactly. tolerant, accepting. Mm. So all of those things really helped me in my early sobriety, and even if I wasn't in early sobriety, it would have helped me in life. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I see you posting lots of your yoga pictures on yes. Facebook. I give you a lot of credit for that because that takes away a lot of the positivity generally whenever you put that stuff on social media. Um, so I would say more than anything else, uh, and one of the things people will notice in their posts is you have lots of tattoos. And I wanted to talk to you about that as well. Yes. Were you getting tattoos bef- like early on? Because I don't remember if you had this many tattoos when I first met you. Was that like I had a few. A few, first, probably. Yes, yeah. I had a few, but you could barely see them because I had one on my wrist. Yeah. And then I think I had two fish on my arm. Now I have like five or six or seven. Did you, I'm, I just, I'm curious, did you get those during the process? Were those after recovery? Are they all over the place? Because I, I always think about my tattoos as like markers of my life sometimes. Like I got them in different places and different times and I always think about them. And I'm curious for someone who does have a lot of tattoo works, if you ever think about stuff like that. Uh, I have three memorial tattoos. Memorial, okay. Yeah. Uh, one for my friend Taylor, who mm. passed away when I was 19. I'm sorry. Uh, one for my friend Amanda. 
who passed away um, yeah. about a year and a half ago. Mm, I remember that. And then one for my friend Tom, who passed away in April. Mm. So, God. almost a year ago. So, those people I like to keep very close mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. But And that's another part of recovery mm. that people don't realize is mm. you, you have a lot of friends who pass away. Mm. Yeah. But... I, the, but that gives me, you know, hope uh, that I have to keep going and tell their story. And, um, you know, they're, I always have a part of them on me, which is really nice. I just got Tom's and on his birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Todd at Rocking Horse, and he was oh, wonderful. Yeah. GFOP Todd Duke. I know Todd. <laughs> yes. Guy, yeah. I know Todd. Yeah, he was great. And he knew Tom, too, so it was odd. It worked out. But parts of my life... Um, some of my tattoos mean things. Some of them just because I think they look really cool. <laughs> yes, I have. I know how that goes too. <laughs> uh, so I want to say before we get into lightning round, uh, you've been very open and honest with us, and I appreciate that so much. You're welcome. If there are people, oh, thank you. <laughs> if there are people who are hearing this who are curious where they can turn to help locally, where were there local facilities or local organizations that helped you out around here? Uh, there are a few places that I do recommend. I mean, for me, uh, I feel like I went to every place around here. <laughs> it's not funny. What it, I'm it really no, really. That's what happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is you is, you know, I went to this place and I failed there, and then I went to this place and I failed there. It it really depends on if you want it enough and what is the right fit for you. Mm-hmm. What level of care do you need? Because I always started going to a place like uh, Milestones, and they really only have outpatient. I needed intensive outpatient. I needed a level higher than that. Mm -hmm. So um, it really depends on the level of care that you need. Mm there's the place in Utica, I believe it's McPike. Okay. Uh, yeah. That's, you know, 28-day inpatient rehab. Insight House has a few really good programs. Yeah. Um, depending on the level of care that you need, there's the Beacon Center. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also, I started out at ACC at one point, and they were amazing. They take you in very, very quickly. Because, really, when you want to get clean, there is a very small window of yeah. opportunity because I know there were a few times for me mm. that I wanted to get clean that minute. The next day, I changed my mind. Yeah, yeah. So uh, places like that, they're very good at trying to get you in as soon as possible. Mm. But um, it, and we're still trying to get more funding and more mm. places. My mom and I are part of the um, drug task force okay. with Griffo yeah. and. Um, so hopefully that more things come from that. Wonderful. Yeah. All right. So let's get into these lightning round questions. Uh, oh, these God. Are, these are, these are, these are fun. These are fun. <laughs> these are the same six questions we ask everybody who's been on the show for the last, I don't know, 45 odd episodes. All right. First question. Uh, what, when you wake up in the morning, Amy, how do you take your coffee? Um, I like, okay, I'll put it this way. I like my sugar with coffee and cream. Ooh, Beastie Boys. Very good reference. I got yeah. that. I know. references. Good for you. Uh, what was your first automobile? A Plymouth Breeze. You had a Plymouth Breeze? Yes. I had a Plymouth Breeze. I crashed it. So did I! <laughs> yeah, good work. Nice. Wait, was it your fault? Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you hit somebody else or just yeah, by yourself? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I hit I someone see, else. I just flipped into a ditch by myself. Nobody oh, else involved. Oh, lucky. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, hit, <laughs> I hit someone. Oh, my God. That I actually... 
It's funny because I loved that car and I had it for literally like six weeks. And I had mine for three. Uh, it's just a car. I just blame the car. <laughs> uh, so you probably didn't take your car to this event based on that story. Uh, but what was your first live concert? It was Pink. Pink? Yeah, Pink in 2004 at mm. the casino. Somehow I feel like that makes sense. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know why, but now that you say it, I'm like, okay, all right. It right. was when she just came out with the... Uh, I think it was just like a pill, that yes. album. And I was all about her. Mm. Like, she was my current obsession. I mean, yeah, I liked Avril Lavigne, but Pink was the ultimate. You know, she had Linda Perry on her side, and it was just... Have you heard the, the Avril Lavigne thing that she, like, passed away and that they got a double to just play her? I Yeah, yeah, I heard that. And <laughs> honestly, I kind of believe that. Because, you know, with the hot, whole Hello Kitty thing, I kind of am like, oh, Avril would never do that. It's I a just, weird song. Maybe I just don't want to believe that. I think that's more what it is. Yeah. I feel the same way. I'm like, this denial. Is, yeah, denial. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an Avril Lavigne denier. I'm a truther. Uh, so give me one book, one album, one movie, or one television show you are currently reading, listening to, or watching. Oh, man. Okay, I guess my current obsession is Shameless. Uh, I was just talking about, I think because it came on Netflix, right? It's bad. Right? It's bad. Actually, you don't like it? I wa- no, I mean, my obsession is bad. Shameless oh, right. is amazing. Okay? I watched all, I think there's six seasons yeah. on Netflix. I blew through those, and then I knew that season seven wasn't going to be yeah. on Netflix for a while, but it was on Showtime. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So I signed up for Showtime, and I'm paying ten ninety nine a month just to watch season seven of Shameless. I need to. I'm almost done though. We need so. to discuss this after the podcast yeah. <laughs> because I'm gonna need someone who has a Showtime subscription so I can watch Twin Peaks when that comes out because I'm okay. thinking about buying yeah. the same. We'll, we'll talk. We, after we can make a All deal. Right, we'll, we'll talk after that. All right, so I'm gonna set a scenario for you. Uh, it's this weird scenario, but just bear with me. You are the uh, the world wrestling women's heavyweight champion. You are walking down the ramp to the ring. The crowd is chanting your name. What song is playing in the background as you make your way to the ring? Probably Enter Sandman. Yes. <laughs> Classic. Classic. Um, and last but not least, um, besides yoga, uh, obviously besides Plymouth Breezes, tattoos, uh, and of course uh, helping the community at large, give me one more thing that you are passionate about. Art, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wait, did you mention that? Well, we talked a little bit. Of, what do you, yeah. you paint? You still paint? Um. Or do, do you still? I do, I do, but it's really for my own personal. See, mm. ever since I uh, got sober, it's been kind of weird making art because mm. before I was very chaotic, yeah. and now it's like it's. I notice the order in my life comes mm. out in my art, so I'm very clean, and mm. uh, it's kind of weird making art like that. I like making a mess. Um, and I guess we talked about this before we did the interview. I don't want to sit here and do the whole, like, how long have you been clean thing. So I'll ask you just one last question. Mm -hmm. How do you feel, like, right now? Do you feel good, like, about your life in general right now? Do you feel like you're, you're doing good and moving in a positive direction? I feel amazing about my life. I feel Mm -hmm. really weird that I'm 27 because it's like, where, where did the time, I don't know, like, what happened? Was I asleep or something? I'm 31 and I'm going to tell you. What you'll notice is you'll look down and go, oh, shit. <laughs> what day of the week is it? Is it the 28th? How is it the 28th? Wait a minute. Like, I thought it was the I 3rd. I do that now. I, like, Sam, you're and not it, making me 
it no, it gets it, it gets worse. I'm not trying to make you feel better. This is what life becomes. You will realize as you get older that the days and weeks and months move so much faster than they used to. And I, I just sort of go with it now. I'm just kind of... <laughs> I, I accepted being an old man a long time ago, Amy. Embrace it, right? <laughs> uh, Amy, I want to thank you so much for coming in and being so candid and so honest. Uh, you are a real inspiration for a lot of people who are struggling out there. Um, you know... It's not always an easy thing to talk about. It's very brave that you came and did this, and I want to thank you so much. It's a real pleasure. Thank you, Sam. Uh, folks, we'll be back to the show in just a moment. Thank you once again, Amy Ruckel. Great friend of mine. Great people. Great family. Good stuff all the way around. Yo, proof that you can come back, man. Like that's <laughs> yeah. For it's it's nice to see um, you know somebody doing well and see a success story because for all the you know the losses mm-hmm. that everybody's had, man. Everybody locally knows a couple people they've lost down that path. It's nice to see it break the good way for a change. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's inspiring. Um. So yeah. Great stuff. Let's uh, let's move on to something that was a little heavier than we normally get into. But hey, that's the way it goes sometimes. It's important. Important. All right, I got a couple history lessons. These are not important. What I thought. I know. Oh. I know. I know. Uh, <laughs> all right. So here we go. This one's important to you. You're, we talked about this last night. 1792. Uh, the first time George Washington post office created, he establishes the post office on this day. 1792. You're a man who grew up in a post office family. That should be important. Yes, I did. I grew up in the post office. I was <laughs> in the post in office. In there, posting bills, uh, stamping things left and right. <laughs> I Actually, I do know a lot about the postal service because so much of my family worked there for like yeah, so long yeah. in so many various positions. I said it last night. Like I like the idea of like being a mail carrier until I think of all the reasons why I would be terrible oh, yeah, to be no, a mail carrier. I've said that. I, like When you're younger and like people are sort of trying to figure out what they can do for a job and trying to find some alternate mm-hmm. route besides like you know the normal... A lot of people that I knew would talk about, oh, maybe I'll be a mail carrier. Maybe I would always be the first one to splash a whole bunch of water on them and be like, look it, it's not what you think it, think it out. Like, truly think it through. Because when you think about it, yeah, I'm outside, I'm driving around, get some fresh air, get to walk. That's all fine and good until you get some day where you do not want to be out there. No, exactly. Uh, yeah, post office, though. 1792. Uh, all right, 1962 on this day, John Glenn became the first American to orbit the Earth. I actually just watched that movie, Hidden Figures, not too long ago. That's coming up for the Oscars. John Glenn, not in the movie, obviously, but he's portrayed in the film. Seems like a nice guy. I don't know. It was a good movie. Go watch Hidden Figures. It was good. Okay. Well, you don't like John Glenn? John Glenn's fine. John Glenn is fine. I remember when they sent John Glenn to space in the 90s. Yeah. And he was the oldest man ever go to space. The oldest man. Yeah. First man, oldest man. First and last. What do you know? No, well, not the last, I suppose. They got a John Glenn Parkway out in Liverpool, outside of Syracuse. Mm. I've now exhausted all my John Glenn facts. <laughs> <laughs> and in, uh, on this day, in 1985, uh, the Irish government defied the Catholic Church uh, and allowed the sale of contraceptives. So, good for you, Irish government. 
85 seems like kind of late for that, though, doesn't it? No, the, you, here, <laughs> you have to 85. That's that's amazingly progressive for the Irish. Uh, there's some things you have to understand. It's unless you know, and I mean, certainly I've never lived in Ireland and grew up in Ireland, but like you know, my family is first generation. My grandparents were from Ireland. Yeah. late. My family went back a lot. I still have a ton of family back there. People sort of underestimate, unless you really know, how deeply entwined Ireland and the Catholic Church, Church are. Yeah. I mean, it might as well be Vatican II in a lot of parts of it. And, you know, not so much. People are, are waking up from that. Right. Shame. But, no, that's uh, that's about spot on for it to come that late for the Irish to, to defy the Pope on that type of thing. Uh, 85. It's a good year. Coincidentally, the same year I was born. Now, whether the two had anything to do with each other, probably not. Huh. If it holds up to any kind of logic, but I think I, I think that there's no such thing as a coincidence. That's what I think. Is so. that what you think? No, that's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. Why are you lying? Why are you gonna lie? I'm just feeling. I just feel like I like to lie sometimes. You're delirious on cough medicine. I am delirious. I did. I'll tell you what. That Bucinex was was the key. Bucinex was strong. Was the key. Uh, so we did watch, and I said we were going to talk about the NBA. We did watch the NBA All Star Game last night. Yes. What was the final score? I don't exactly remember. Um, who won? I'm not exactly sure if I remember. Did the West win? Of course the West won. I forgot. Uh, great time, though. It did get us in our our conversations about the NBA, though, our theoretical basketball conversations. And one of the things I thought was interesting, and I told this to you last night during the game, because I work in a school setting and I deal with a lot of the students, I remember growing up and being obsessed with the New York Yankees. Like, obsessed. Mm-hmm. Like, Derek Jeter, watching the Yankees win World Series, everyone in school was talking about the Yankees. And I don't feel... I feel that basketball has stepped into that role for kids in schools now as the sport that people talk about no. in that way. Everybody I knew in school talked about basketball nonstop. When you were younger? More than anything, yeah. It's just the people you hang out with. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the, my, my basketball friends, you know what I mean? Like, my friends that like I would play basketball with in the neighborhood that played on the teams that followed, those are the basketball friends. And I certainly had friends who liked, you know, baseball more, and, like, there were a lot of my buddies from uh, more outside of just straight Utica schools were all big football people specifically, but yeah, I think yeah. it's just the people you interact with. See, I think what I mean more than anything else is um, the culture of basketball. Like, basketball is the coolest sport. You know right. why? Because it's young and interesting, and it embraces like the youth culture in the way that the other sports do not. Do you know what the actual the the concrete thing for like that type of flowery language is? No. The biggest thing is that the NBA, more than any other of the major sports league, has adapted more adeptly, more quickly to the social media age. Oh yeah. Like if you oh, look yeah, at the NBA, sure. like NBA is is so easily shareable yeah. in you know in a vine or in a tweet or in something like that mm-hmm. and the players are so engaged and so quickly intertwined yes. that for these young kids who you know social media is an extension of their person at this point in a lot of ways and you know the internet and everything like that the NBA has been the quickest to yeah. adapt to that and get into that and I think that's why you're seeing such a you know a surge among mm-hmm. the young kids that's true and I think uh, I think that's been a big a big factor as well, and it, it, you look at the NFL, you look at Major League Baseball, right? Like, we have, like, the WWE Network at the house, right? And I don't think the WWE is a great outlier because of the way their content is presented. But here's the thing, right? Like, it's weird to me that I can go on the WWE Network and I can look up a wrestling, an episode of Monday Night Raw from 1995 and, like, pinpoint the day and the week and go watch it and it's there. You'd be. I feel like the other sports would have jumped on this somewhere. Like, why doesn't no. the NFL Network let you watch old Super Bowls? Like, why doesn't like or old NFC Championship games? Like, what's the benefit of not allowing those to be? Do available? people want that? 
I don't. The I'm reason, sure somebody does. The reason the reason that that something like wrestling would have that. Um, You'd be able to go back and watch it and like actually enjoy it again and rewatch it. Same reason you can rewatch a TV show, a movie, or a book because it's entertainment. And they're telling a story, right? Like with sports, it's just the score. Like, does it really? I mean, you can go back and watch, you know, certain things, I guess. But if do you really want to go back and watch, like, you know, uh, like a long shutout baseball game where like there was finally a walk off home run in the thirteenth inning to win one to nothing because it was a classic game? Nobody wants that. You already know what happens, so it takes away all the enjoyment of repeat viewing. I suppose. But I don't think there's enough of a demand to get all the licenses together. But on the flip side of that, you don't think it would be interesting to go back and watch like the Utah Jazz Chicago Bulls final series from '96 like, again as an adult and be like, "Yeah, this was a crazy series." So like, go back and watch that game and like reanalyze not, it. Not any more than I could. No, probably not like six or seven games like that. Not any more than I couldn't do on YouTube. Also, the difference with stuff like that is when you look at somebody like wrestling. Those dudes have always had their camera team, right. their production crew, sure. their people broadcasting to you know, over they've got their contract with. Whereas, you know, you're going back, you're talking about different Super Bowls, different conference championships, those involve a whole host of rights with like, you know, True. different different stations, different networks, different broadcast rights, different ownerships, different, you know, sponsorship pairings, all sorts mm-hmm. of stuff like that. And I think it's a huge boondoggle to unravel for something that just a small, teeny tiny little group of, you know, esoteric individuals would like to take advantage mm-hmm. of. Well, there you go. Good. Yeah, see? NBA. Solving all the world's problems here on a Monday. Yeah, yeah. It's well, early to do the show. Very early. Again, I it, I had Monday off. It is it is, it is President's Monday. Day. Did you know that? It's a holiday uh, today. Yeah, I did know that. It's President's Day. Uh, first off, uh, do you remember when President's Day wasn't just one holiday? It was two holidays? What? So no. President's Day is basically just George Washington's birthday and Abe Lincoln's birthday, like, slapped together. Huh. It used to be separate holidays. Um, it's also not... Recognized by the federal government as an actual holiday, it's just used as an overarching term. My employer is closed today. I think mine is too. Yeah. Uh, If you think yours is, you better find out because you can go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, got me reading up some interesting facts about the presidents. Uh, Do you know that there are nine presidents who did not attend college? Yeah. Yeah. Now, a lot of them are old-timey presidents, so it makes sense. Uh, Often, like the thicket in the woods. (laughs) Uh, But there are nine of them. Andrew Jackson, George Washington. Ooh, doing all nine. Go ahead. No, there's only three. <laughs> George Washington, Andrew Jackson, Martin Van Buren, uh, Zachary Taylor, Millard Fillmore, Abe Lincoln, Andrew Johnson, Grover Cleveland, and Harry Truman. None of those guys. That's a hell of a mixed bag. Hell of a kind mixed, of a mixed bag. bag. <laughs> some of the worst, some of the best. It's funny because like, I just gave a presentation on Abe Lincoln and the Reconstruction Era for one of my college classes. And I had to talk about Andrew Johnson a lot. And Andrew Johnson is considered one of the worst presidents. Yeah, Andrew Johnson's very poor. Very poor president. Low-level president. Did you say Franklin Pierce? Is he no, on your list? Franklin he went Pierce to college. is terrible. Franklin Pierce, I was explaining that to somebody. I was like, Franklin Pierce is like the one that people are like, he's the worst one. Mm-hmm. Andrew Johnson, also kind of crummy, but he had a few redeeming qualities, whereas I don't think Franklin Pierce had any. Uh, yeah, including, you know, the fact that he was impeached. <laughs> Andrew Johnson. I think, I think he was the only president in the history of the presidency to get removed from office via impeachment. Mm. And not just impeached. Like, Clinton was impeached, but impeachment doesn't mean you're gone. Impeachment means we're going to be looking. <sighs> the Clinton impeachment, man. What a... The glory days of political coverage. As a matter of fact, that actually ties into a honest-to-goodness mailbag question we got from longtime listener Pete Forgets. Pete Forgets. Yeah, yeah. Pete Forgets. Uh, mailbag question from Pete. Uh, because we all need some levity with dealing with this DC shit show. His words, not mine. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, favorite TV-based political comedian, and then he wrote Stephen Colbert, Trevor Noah, Bill Maher, John Oliver, and then he also wrote John Stewart is omitted because it's the right answer. He's also got a show on HBO coming out in the fall. Um, so here's an inter- this is a good question. Thanks, Pete. I actually go back and forth on this because I find political comedy funny. Like I'm a big John Oliver guy. I like John Oliver, but I don't- John Oliver's not always necessarily straight politics, though. True. He'll be like national interest issues, which often overlap with politics. Because right. a lot of times he's talking about stuff that isn't directly politics, but does have some political overlap. For a presentation st- now, I, I would say that the the easy answer is because these these four and five comedians, if you want to put John Stewart in there, sort of are aimed at people like me, right? Like, sure, yeah. I'm like the target audience for these mm-hmm. guys, right? So I'm gonna be a little more skeptical than I normally would when addressing all of these. I like John Oliver a lot. I love his presentation. I think he's very funny. I think he's very smart. He has a great research team. It seems like like a mm-hmm. really really good research team. I think his show benefits from the fact that it's once a week and also in seasons. For because, sure. Because you can really like pack up material sure. and the come HBO in. The HBO factor helps. Yeah, too. HBO factor helps a lot. People like Bill Maher. I don't really have as much of a take on Bill Maher. Mm-hmm. I guess he's smart. I like most of the things he tends to talk about. He sort of rubs me the wrong way. I don't know what it yeah. is particularly about. He, I can, he's, there's definitely, he's not as pleasing of a personality as the rest of them. He's not as much of a show pony as the rest <laughs> of the uh, the cable fellas. But yeah, he's, he's right about a lot of things. Some, Bill Maher is one of those guys who becomes like a useful tool, right? When you talk mm-hmm. about certain things, like, he's one of those guys where sometimes he's going to annoy you because he's going to be such a dick and he's going to be yeah. sort of like stubborn and bullheaded about stuff and unnecessary and like character traits that you don't like from people but it's also useful sometimes because sometimes he'll really cut through the BS because, you know, the BS comes from both sides. Mm. Um, not always in equal degrees, but, you know, we have our fair share of our own. But he'll cut right through stuff. And sometimes you need a guy who's going to be a little bit more aggressive, a little more in your face. But he's got an interesting format for his show, the way they've got the panel and they talk in, like, discussion groups on his show. Yeah. That's interesting and nobody yes, really does I like that. that. And I think with him, the, the thing more than anything is I just don't watch a ton of his show. I don't. I mean, I don't really watch many shows no. anymore. Anyway, I watch the stuff on like YouTube. But well, there's my argument for Trevor Noah. Like, I don't have a real opinion on Trevor Noah because, to be honest, I have not watched The Daily Show since John Stewart left, and it's everything I've seen that's been shared with him. I think he's been better than I expected him to be. Yeah, he's pretty good. Yeah, he just doesn't engage me in the way that I feel like I need to look up everything he's doing. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, and then Colbert is an interesting. I think Colbert is a brilliant guy. Did you know that Colbert's uh, ratings have been surging? Yes. Since the yeah. since the election, he's like now like competing with Fallon every week and beating him a lot yeah. of weeks. Like all of a sudden, his show's got a whole new energy. Well, can I say this about Fallon? I like Fallon too, but I think I'm getting a little burned out on Fallon shtick. No, yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I've been burned out. I can't um, really. Fallon does like a good job of what he does, and like it's fine. And I've watched some enjoyable stuff on his show, but he's not. If push came to shove, right, like, I think that Colbert is a better interviewer, better, like, personality, TV personality. Mm-hmm. I think Fallon is just entertaining to the central part of what America likes. He's just, like, a he's centrally, middly entertaining. Everyone he covers everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's, he's not offensive. Um, he's he's chicken. Yeah. You I, know what I mean? Like, he's just, everybody, everybody yeah. have chicken. Just put the chicken yeah. on. Everybody have the chicken. I, like, I think Colbert is... He probably he's been struggling, you could say, I guess, to find his own voice. Maybe this whole election cycle the, is what yeah. he needed, you know. And then Stewart, you know, John Stewart. Stewart's was fine. the best. Stewart's, Stewart's the, the best. greatest of all time. Nobody, <laughs> really, out of those people, yeah. like 
Nobody else comes close. None of those people can even hold a candle. They all have jobs because of John Stewart. Yes. And in the case of Colbert and John Oliver, quite specific. And Trevor Noah, quite specifically because of John Stewart. Yeah, but if we're going from that angle, then, you know, shout out to the originator, the greatest of all time, Craig Kilborn. No, stop, John stop, St- stop, <laughs> stop, wrong, sad, sad, you're failing, this right. failing podcast, sad. Right. <laughs> Let's move on, I have uh, three, I have three news stories this week uh, that are true. Wait a minute, is John Stewart really coming back with a show? Is that a thing? Uh, he's got and an pizza? animated show in development on HBO. Oh. I thought he had like a, I thought he was coming back to the desk. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Oh man, I got excited for a minute. All right, go ahead. So I got three news stories that I read this week on. Reddit. Wait, are these different than the history thing? Yes, these are not history. Oh. Uh, so this one, shout out to this guy. Uh, I read about this on Reddit. It's my favorite story of the week. Nick Lutz, L U T Z twelve on Twitter. Nick Lutz. Uh, Nick Lutz received an apology letter from his ex girlfriend, apologizing for the way events in history had gone down between the two of them. And in the greatest response imaginable... Is Nick Lutz just some guy? Just some guy on the okay. internet. Okay. Um, he graded the apology letter with a red pen and put in corrections to all the uh, incorrect material and spelling errors, graded it, and sent it back to That's him. That's a highly petty maneuver that I respect the hell out of. It's <laughs> <That's laughs> such a power move. Like, that's so <laughs> petty, but, like, if you're going to be petty and really get down in the in the depths and, like, just not let it go and be an adult, that's a good way to go about it. The reason I find it really funny is I went through and read it, and he never broke character from being, like, correcting the paper. Like, it never mm. turned into maliciousness. Like, it was all very in character and very, like... Uh, it seems like your handwriting has gotten lazier in this section. You might want to change grips on your pen. You know what I mean? Like, really? Your fine motor skills. <laughs> yeah. Really, really funny one. I like that one a lot. So, Nick Lutz, good work. Good work, buddy. Uh, here's another one for you. Walmart is getting sued uh, for making up their own craft brewery and selling beers from it. Have you heard about this one yet? I have. No. No, <laughs> okay. I haven't, actually. So, Walmart was releasing a series of four craft beers in collaboration with Trouble Brewery, which is a brewery they made up. God, that's such a Walmart name for a brewery. <laughs> like, as somebody in the brewing industry, like, there's so many cool breweries with great names. There's a bunch of breweries with really dumb names, too. But, like, Trouble Brewery is such a Walmart name. Trouble I brewery. can't even, like, did anybody would even believe that for a minute? How do you try to do something like that in 2017 when everybody's got Google in their hand all the time? Like, you think nobody's going to look up, oh, weird, I've never heard of this brewery that makes this IPA. Let me look them up. Oh. Spoiler alert, it's just Genesee, because that's what it always is. Whenever you hear a story about, like, some company that comes up with, like, some lager beer, it always ends up going back to Genesee. It's always seems it's just Genesee beer. Jenny got to eat, man. They got to make that money. Uh, all right, so that's – and then finally, here's, um, here's the one that scared me. Wait, this who's is- suing them? What are they getting sued for, though? Oh, I guess they're getting uh, – I'd have to pull up the whole story, but the idea was that they're getting sued for lying about having a craft brewery when there's no craft brewery that exists. They were just getting the beer from – Well, if the beer's so they're lying about how the beer is brewed then? Well, they're the lying problem. how it's presented, I suppose, right? Yeah. Like, the argument people were saying on Reddit is like, oh, well, like Blue Moon's not a craft beer, but they market it as a craft beer. It's like – that was the other argument. So, like, what's the difference, I guess? Well, that's the thing. There is no difference. Yeah. I don't see what you can sue anybody for. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, it's shady. But, like, also, if you fall for it or if you're buying beer at Walmart in general, I mean, <laughs> I don't I, – I've got no sympathy for you. Man, I would love to see Walmart get taken down with a lawsuit, but I think i got to take their side on this one. Yeah, I know, Sue us. got to make money. <laughs> so, who, who do you even sue? Who do you send your letter to when you're suing Walmart? You just, like, pop into your local uh, location and be like, I'd like to talk to your manager, go to customer <laughs> service. Oh, speak to your manager. It's trouble brewery. I tried to call him. It ain't real. Um, 
<laughs> our last. You got trouble brewing. <laughs> you got trouble, all right, coming from me. Um, oh, and in so our bad. and what I'm hoping will not be a recurring segment, but as I'm getting as I'm looking forward into the future, I think it may become a recurring segment. Black Mirror in real life. Uh, this is the newest uh, newest technological advancement in contact lenses. Sony is patenting a contact lens. That is blink powered and can now record video. Nope, don't want nope. it. Not interested. Absolutely <laughs> not. Are you kidding me? That's the end. That's the fucking end, buddy. Oh, it's, it's all over. I, first no. off, no, I, no, no. This is only in the patent stage, but why? <laughs> I don't understand. Science, all about coulda, not about shoulda. Oh, man. Uh, no, that's bad. That's trouble. I don't. I, and first off, I, I have many questions. One, I am blind, so would I have to wear this contact over my other contact lenses, or is this not meant for people like me? I don't think it's meant for people like me. Uh, also, Kev, you don't care when people touch your face and eyes, so you probably don't want that either. I, I welcome people to touch my face, but my eyeballs, <laughs> specifically, I can't, no, I can't do eyeballs. Like, I can't uh, do eye drops, I've never worn contacts, I can't touch my eyeballs, my eyelids won't let me. Just watch what black- do you need that for? <laughs> To record people secretly. What? If you're a spy. Okay, but like that's what that's what I'm saying. Like the only use for that. <laughs> what good use can you have for that? What what use that's not nefarious can you assign to these secret camera microchip contact lenses? Do you think that Sony only cares about uh, nefarious means? They're looking for this from a nefarious purpose. What? Do you think they're trying to get into the spy game? Like, do you think they're trying to sell this to the government? Is this like a government, like, the contacts, they're going to sell them to all the Marines and stuff? This is going to be the move, I'm telling you. Maybe, but, like, what does that do? That That's dodging the question. I'm saying, what name for me one use for these things that people actually need them for that's not, like, some horrible, nefarious spy shit? I don't think there is, though. That's the problem. <laughs> right? But, like... I don't know. Let me think. People, we got to get loud about this. We're Let me give one second. We're trying to think. Is there any possible scenario... No. Where you can cook up some obscure scenario yeah. where it would come in handy, but like, is there any yeah. reason to develop this technology? For, and I guess, it, like we were saying earlier, it's going to come anyway, so we can't resist it. This is no different than the people not wanting to have discussions I, about automation. Like, I don't understand how it works, though. Like, you put the contact in your eye, yeah, and you record the video. What are you recording it to? Is there a chip? The cloud. In the contact? No, the cloud. The cloud. The cloud. Wait, it's always the cloud. Oh shit, the cloud. Yeah, there's we're not gonna be recording to like chips and physical pieces of material for much longer. I can go for some chips. You know what the interesting problem is there? You know what happens? Is if we get to a point where we're no longer storing things physically already, I mean things, you know, can um, degrade when they're on digital for a long time and sort of rot, so to speak. Say we start recording everything to the cloud. All of our material goes to the cloud, all of our records, all of our everything. We move everything to the cloud, and then say uh, I don't I don't know, some tyrant in the White House starts World War Three over an SNL skit. You know, something mm-hmm. crazy happens. But like no, crazy. like say say the SN falls out of the whole thing yeah. and then all of our records are uploaded to the cloud and you know, say we're on the cloud for like three hundred years. That's three hundred years where a thousand years later all the survivors who have forgotten yeah. to find you lose a lot of that stuff if the cloud ever goes down. Handwriting, see folks? You gotta remember how to handwriting, fine motor skills, we have to go back to using typewriters and hand stuff. Just don't forget how to do all of it. And this all comes crumbling down. Let's slow down. Like we don't need the to facade. We don't need to sprint. Like we're gonna get there. We can embrace technology. We don't need to sprint. Alright, so a bridge episode again. Thanks folks for joining us this week. Are we um, done? That's it. We went through all our stuff. No way. I know. So early. Hey, listen, it's gotta be early. Uh I will do my best to get this promoted while I'm busy in New York. Dragging these kids around and making sure they're not getting harassed by the people in New York City. I'm sure mm-hmm. they'll be fine. 
staying in like central Manhattan. Yeah, but that's not. It's not even, I mean, that's that's the most quintessential New York City. But like, is that even New York City at this point? Do you know what I'm saying when what I say is that? New York City? <laughs> Who knows anymore? Uh, follow Kevin Sullivan on Twitter underscore Kevin Sullivan. Uh, follow me at SF. Do more. Follow the show at Uticast. We are also on Instagram. Facebook, send us an email at uticast at gmail.com or check out the website uticast.com for this and all back episodes of our program. Uh, that's it, man. We'll uh, we'll see you next week. Hey, yeah, next week. Yep. There we are. Yep. Maybe. Renegotiate my contract. <laughs> You're trading to New Orleans. Yo, New Orleans. 11th hour. Place to go. It does seem like a place to go. It's